Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today we are continuing our study, The God Who Loves, exploring the doctrine of the Trinity. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Well, good evening, everybody. It's uh, great to be with you for the first part of this study in the Trinity, The God Who Loves. Uh, whether or not you're here or watching through YouTube, please be more than welcome to participate. If there's anything you want to say, uh, any questions you want to ask, uh, if there are any questions, we can do some at the end. Um, but as I say, it's great to have you uh, here uh, with us. Uh, so today's going to be kind of an introduction to the study. So it's probably going to be the shortest, and we'll get into more detail as we go over. But I hope this will be really valuable for you. So before we start, I just wanted to give some book recommendations. Um, and these both come with really hearty recommendations from me. So the first one is called The Forgotten Trinity, this one, by James White. That is an absolutely brilliant, easy-to-read um, kind of argument for what the Trinity is and the biblical argument for it. So that's kind of a more technical definition of what is the Trinity, and it's very, very good. The second one comes with a hearty, hearty, hearty recommendation. It's very short. It's only 100 pages long. It's called The Good God by Michael Reeves, and this one is not so much about what the Trinity is, but about enjoying and uh, understanding the, the impact and the practical nature of the Trinity. Fantastic book. Only book I've ever read in one sitting, but as I say, brilliant. So those are my book recommendations. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, you can grab the handout. It's in the link in the description, uh, and it'll just help you follow along as we carry on. So why study the Trinity? as we're going to be doing over the next five weeks. So it's a, it's a doctrine that's considered kind of important somehow. We just don't really know how. You know, it's, perhaps we think of it as just confusing, perhaps even just a kind of a theological muscle flex, like, I can understand the Trinity. Um, we, know, we know it's historic, but we, do, we kind of, do we realize the nature and the reality of it? And one thing I think we don't tend to think about much is, what's the relevance of the Trinity to me. And so one man, a man called uh, Immanuel Kant, who was a very uh, influential philosopher who lived in the 18th century, he said this about the Trinity. Taken literally, the doctrine of the Trinity has no practical relevance at all, even if we think we understand it. And it's even more clearly irrelevant if we realize that it transcends all our concepts. So that's Clearly, Kant thinks it's no relevance and not worth looking into. And he is by no means a lone voice, even in the Christian world. So why study the Trinity, as we say? Well, before we get to that question, we should ask why should we study, study God at all? Why should we study anything to do with God? So I'm just going to give some definitions first, just going to give some terms. So when we have the word theology comes from two words in Greek, theos meaning God, logos meaning study of, like biology. Bios is the Greek word for life, study of life. Uh, but the reality is, when we talk about theology, we're not always talking about the study of God. Theology can cover all kinds of things. So when we talk about theology, we can be talking about sin, salvation, prophecy, uh, the church, here we go, scripture, humanity, uh, spiritual gifts, baptism, all these things are under the category of theology. And yet, as you notice, if you're studying the church, you're not necessarily studying God. 
if you're studying baptism, you're not necessarily studying God, even though this is the study of God. And so we have this phrase, uh, theology proper, because when we're talking about theology proper, we're talking about God. It's called theology proper because it's actually what you're talking about, which is why I've called this first part, let's do it properly, because we're talking about theology proper. Now, the reality is you need to have a good grasp on theology proper in order to talk about all those other things that we saw. So uh, we can't really talk about salvation, for instance, unless we have uh, an understanding of theology proper. If you said, or, or sin, if you said, why can't God just forgive us and move on? Why does he need to bother about sin? Well, we end up going back to theology proper because we say, because God is holy, because he's just, because he cares about these things. So we end up explaining these other doctrines by going back to theology proper. So, uh, you know, all these things eventually go back. Even the question, why does God volunteer to save us? Why does God love us? Because he is a loving God in his nature. So, you know, take any topic in theology, in, in, in the Christian religion, and you end up asking the question, what is God like? So it's really important to have a grasp on theology proper, because at the end of the day, all doctrines, everything about the Christian life eventually goes back to theology proper. In fact, it's fair to say that the Christian life as a whole is about theology proper. All of the Christian life is about growing in the knowledge of God. You know, take what Jesus says in John 17, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life, to know God. That's what Jesus says. So it's really important to have a, you know, a grasp on that. Uh, another man called Herman Barvink, who is my absolute favorite theologian, uh, a, a brilliant man, he wrote a massive four-volume um, work on systematic theology uh, called Reform Dogmatics. It's, it's, as I say, one of my favorites. And at the very beginning of his works, he says this, all the doctrines treated in theology, whether they concern the universe, humanity, Christ, and so forth, are but the explication of one central dogma of the knowledge of God. All things are considered in light of God, subsumed under him, traced back to him as the starting point. Dogmatics is always called upon to ponder and describe God and God alone whose glory is in creation and recreation, in nature and grace, in the world and in the church. It is the knowledge of him alone that theology must put on display. So, you know, so a really kind of powerful quote there. All theology is pointing to who is God? Who is this one that we worship? You know, and you get some people who talk about we need to know God, not know about God. And it's, it's a good, it's a good um, phrase because... It's no good just knowing about God without actually knowing him. But the reality is these two things are intertwined. You know, take any relationship. You always know someone, and as you know them more, you grow in knowing about them. It's like, you know, it wouldn't be any good for me as a husband to say, Anna, I want to know you, but I'm not fussed with who you are as a person. You know, part of growing in my knowledge of, of her means growing in my knowledge about her. They're intertwined. So we've got, we've got to know God, but we also need to know about God. And so the obvious question then is, what do you enjoy about the sun? Let's have some, some genuine answers. What do you enjoy about the sun? 
Warmth? Yeah. Light? Anything else? Huh? Brightness? I know that Anna would say getting a tan. Now, the reality is, we, we can say that we enjoy these things about the sun because we know what the sun is like in itself. And actually, the more you know about the sun, the better you can enjoy its benefits. For instance, if you know how the seasons work, you know that you can say in the middle of winter, oh, it's a sunny day, uh, but if I go outside, I'm not going to be warm, because you, you realize how it works, and so you can enjoy its benefits more. It gives you kind of boundaries. Um, if you have a knowledge that the sun burns you because it gives off UV rays, then you're not going to be spending hours and hours in the sun without sun cream. Uh, the, the knowledge of the sun increases your ability to be able to interact with it without it being damaging to you. So, as I say, the more familiar you are with the characteristics of the sun, uh, the more you find that it re relates to us in a way that's good and we get benefits from it. And so I want to kind of apply this analogy to how we relate with God. And I think there's, there's, there's two ways to look at it. One is the, the human would benefit, you know, and that's what I was just saying about us. The more we know about God the more we can enjoy the benefits of knowledge of God. So there's kind of something in it for us. But then the other way that we can apply the analogy is the Godward, uh, the Godward benefit, how we relate to God. And I kind of think of it like this. If you enjoy the fact that the sun enjoys, uh, removes shadows, you know, two people said light and brightness. So you're enjoying the fact that as the sun comes out, darkness goes. If you only ever enjoy the sun for its ability to remove the darkness from your life, you're not actually appreciating what the sun is in itself, which might sound like a weird analogy, but what I'm getting at is in the same way, if you only ever appreciate God as the one who can solve issues in my life and never actually think of him as who God is, then there's a kind of a disconnect there. You know, I think this is a bit of a problem in a lot of worship songs that we have today. A lot of them focus on what God can do for us rather than who God is which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it needs to be held in tension. As, as I say, it's not bad to enjoy the brightness and, and light of the sun, but you do need to have, kind of have some knowledge of why the sun can do that. So we need to know the what of God in order to appreciate the blessings of knowing God. And I think that's a really important uh, point because otherwise you end up enjoying God as being a giver. And, you, you, and what I mean by that is the gifts are what's appreciated and not the giver himself. And so I say this is kind of a Godward benefit because we as Christians want to glorify God with our lives. And so glorifying him means we need to have some knowledge of him. Otherwise, we could be glorifying an idol, a false god. You know, if he says, I am like this, and we say, that's not relevant to me, I want to worship you by doing this. You know, take one of the false gods in the Old Testament. Let's say a, a Canaanite wants to become a follower of the Hebrews God, and he says, I'm after your God. Let me go grab my child so I can sacrifice him in worship. And we say, no, 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 no. That's not how our God wants to be worshipped. And he says, why not? We need to explain who our God is. Um, so as I say, part of glorifying God, it always comes back to what do we know about God. It always comes back to theology proper. So that takes us really to the, to the last point. As I say, this week is going to be much shorter. Uh, but the, the last point to make is this. If, if it's important to study God, why then the Trinity? Why this aspect of God? Why is this what we're going to be focusing on over the next five weeks? Well, 
the Trinity is absolutely foundational to the Christian message. I, I'm not saying that kind of because it's one of my favorite doctrines. I'm not saying that because, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I'm saying that because actually you can't make sense of the Christian faith in any of its areas without the foundational doctrine of the Trinity. You know, I would, I would bet money on the fact that the list of categories I put up earlier, each of them we could show how we need the Trinity to understand those. And so, as I say, no area of Christian theology or life or practice makes sense without it. And as we'll see as we go through this series, you know, we'll get into some of those ways where it really interacts with the heart of our faith. In part five, we're going to look at how the gospel, if you take away the Trinity, you don't actually have a gospel. So it's why in the early church, some of the biggest debates were on who God is. You know, take any of the early church councils, the Council of Nicaea, the Council of um, Chalcedon, all of these were about who God is and what he's like. It's absolutely foundational because they realize that if we get this bit wrong, then everything else we do from here is going to be equally, it's going to go a completely different direction. So as I say, it's absolutely foundational. The Trinity uh, was, a, was really at the heart of the debate because they realized what was at stake if they went with another view. And so some theologians you know, viciously fought to defend it because they realized that without it, you don't have a Christian faith. And just in case it was, it was being wondered, this is not just an area of philosophy. This isn't an area for us to come and philosophize and you know, use Greek terms to sound very smart and work out how all these works. Um, it's not the result of monks who had too much time on their hands who are thinking, you know, we've studied all this Aristotle. There must be a way that we can bring this into our theology. It's not the result of people who wanted to confuse. It's a way of expressing a biblical truth that is, as I say, many times foundational. And the last point to make is that there is supreme comfort to be found in the Trinity, as we'll see. You know, there is there's huge blessings, which I'm not going to give many spoilers away. But uh, my real hope is that as we get to the end of this study, that we won't just be able to say, I understand the Trinity, but we'll actually be able to say, I love the doctrine of the Trinity. You know, most people have like a doctrine which they love, but most people kind of, when you say that about the Trinity, it sounds a bit weird. That's something that you understand. It's not something that you love. Now, I want us to be able to say, I love the Trinity. John Owen, a, a very influential and famous theologian from the uh, 17th century, one of the most intelligent uh, English thinkers probably to have ever lived, uh, he wrote a confession of faith for the uh, Congregationalist churches in, the, in England. And he took the Westminster Confession of Faith and their section on the Trinity, and he just added one sentence onto the end of it. So the Westminster Confession of Faith really well explains what the Trinity is, but what was missing in John Owen's mind was this phrase, the doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and our comfortable dependence upon him. So that's what we're going to be seeing over the next few weeks, I hope. So uh, I hope that whets your appetite a bit for the series. Um, next week, we're going to be looking at what do we mean when we say the word Trinity? You know, what does that actually mean? So I hope to see you again next week. It'll be excellent to have you. And thanks very much for coming along.